the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a delight to welcome back our good friend Andy Biggs. Andy is the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. He also represents Arizona's 5th Congressional District, one of my favorite public servants. Andy, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks. My audience is asking this, Andy, um, and this is not your first go-round, because I noticed a couple years ago you had uh, filed a motion of censure uh, uh, on, on, on Maxine Waters before. But my audience is asking this. How can you say march peacefully and patriotically and be impeached, but say, I'm going to fight with all of the people who stand for justice. We've got to stay on the street and we've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know that we mean business. I hope we're going to get a verdict that says guilty, guilty, guilty. And if we don't, we cannot go away. If you say that, every person who voted to impeach Trump for saying peacefully votes to defend her as no big deal. What am I missing? Uh, you're not missing much except for the uh, double standard, the hypocrisy of the left and the Democrats in Congress. And the thing is, they didn't lose a single vote. We thought, you know, because it, it was straight party line and there were four people who didn't vote, two on each side. So when you think about that, uh, uh, I know McCarthy because I talked to him. The idea was, well, you know, there's, there's got to be three or four people on the Democrat side that will surely say this is too much. This is too much. But if you look on the floor, you had Cindy Hoyer standing by one exit and Nancy Pelosi by another exit, um, giving the skunk eye to the Democrats so they all knew what they'd better do. So, so this was strictly a party-line deal. Uh, what uh, Maxine Waters said was outrageous. And the thing that is particularly offensive, I, I, I introduced the censure resolution on the stuff she said before. So you couple that with what she said this time. Seth, the context of this, it wasn't merely that she violated the law after curfew, because that, that shouldn't get you censured in Congress. I get that. And it wasn't even uh, exercising her free speech rights. But what it was was um, using the, the language of violence when you have a jury that is about to deliberate on a murder case and you are deliberately trying to influence or intimidate that jury. And um, most people don't realize this, but the, the local paper had been printing the addresses of these various jurors. So uh, the intimidation was almost complete with, with uh, the offensive language by Maxine Waters. And it's not as if the jurors weren't aware of their surroundings. I know there was some discussion about why they weren't sequestered, but the truth is they were not sequestered. And when they left that courthouse, they were leaving a courthouse that was covered in barbed wire, and they were looking at 3,000 National Guardsmen on the street. They knew well. They knew well what was going on around them. They were not isolated to what was just in front of them in the courtroom. 
Um, and, yeah. and, and, and so there is an era, uh, uh, an air, I should say, there is an air of intimidation that takes place in these kinds of environments that Maxine Waters made all the worse. So much so that the judge spoke out um, saying that she may be causing an appealable issue with her speech. I've never seen a judge do something like that in the middle of a trial, by the way. Yeah, I hadn't either. I I do think that 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 he kind of caused some bit of problem in that in, in his statements. I mean, he, in my my opinion, he probably should have um, either gone all the way and declared a mistrial. Um, but judges hate to do mistrial. Right. It really is going to take a lot, so they don't want to do a mistrial. But what Maxine Waters did that kind of intimidation. Um, coupled with everything else that you're talking about. I mean, the entire context of, of the speech um, in, in relationship to everything else really was quite intimidating. Yep. And um, uh, and that's why I don't think you've seen the last of this yet, because Maxine Waters, the judge is right. He's, she created an appealable issue. The question is, will the uh, appellate court in Minnesota have the courage to look at this closely and say, look, you know what, uh, uh, there, that, that's that kind of jury intimidation. It wasn't uh, it, it wasn't jury tampering, but it was jury intimidation, trying to get an, an outcome, trying to influence the outcome. That that might bring this thing on back for another another round. Any number of scenarios are possible. There still could be violence uh, or at least rioting. Oh, there will be violence. Yeah, I mean these are this, these are these people are uh, you know a lot of them are professional rioters. There's you know, this is uh, their equal opportunity um, um, rioters, looters. Well, I, that's why I was so disappointed to see the irresponsibility of not just Maxine Waters, but Kamala Harris, who made a statement earlier in the day about how this is just one dent in the larger problem. I see. This is what I have a. This is what worries me about this country, Andy. Is there's two things that are going on at the same time inside that courtroom? Race was not an issue. It was not brought up as an issue by the prosecution in any event. Outside the courtroom, whether it's the family and friends and Al Sharpton uh, folks surrounding themselves with George Floyd's family or others, they are making this a race issue, as is Kamala Harris, who says this is but one small small dent in the much larger narrative. And I just hate the reinforcement of this narrative that this is a very common thing that, thank God, for someone with a video camera, we got to the bottom of. This is not a common thing. This is extremely aberrational. And the notion that the police are systemically doing this sort of thing on a daily basis is belied by every factual study and inquiry into it. But that is not the narrative here. No, that isn't the narrative. It won't be the narrative. And, I mean, look, uh, every every week that uh, we have hearings up here, it seems like we're doing at least on the two committees I'm on, there's going to be a hearing that involves, um, you know, something like, I, I missed the hearing yesterday that, uh, because I was in another hearing, but uh, they were talking about the FBI reporting on on uh, the white nationalists who in, uh, basically are in our police force. Yeah. And the Democrats are always saying, well, it's 10 to 15 percent. And the reality is, the number looks, uh, the comments from these folks is that it's well below 1%, sure. if that high. Sure. So, sure. so it's this is the critical race theory being implemented, which is a Marxian dogma, as you know. And so that's we're going to keep facing that. That's that's 
until we say enough is enough as an American people, um, uh, we're going to be facing that and hearing that. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm called a racist or, or domestic terrorist or whatnot simply because I call for due process. How about that? How about saying, look, let's not convict anybody until uh, you, they've had their day in court. That's kind of the way, uh, that's kind of what makes America so so wonderful, is that due process thing, the rule of law, we call that. You know, um, the way we treat Andrew Cuomo, not the way we treated Brett Kavanaugh. You could just help them with the illustration <laughs> yeah. if you wanted. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. The way we're giving grace to Andrew Cuomo, but not Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Let me let, let's just. I, I don't want to digress too much, but that's okay. But I, I think a, a really apt example is Matt Gates. Sure, Andrew Cuomo, Matt Gates. Sure. So there's there's no um, real accuser against Matt Gates, and yet they the media has gone crazy uh, and and basically tried to tar and feather him. Now maybe some somebody will come forward, but right now there's there's not even a victim. Uh, Flash witness to testify against him. Andrew Cuomo's got this parade. Of nine, women. nine, yeah. same side worked yeah. for him. Political allies, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, and they're coming forward. Uh, and, and and Andrew Cuomo gets a pass, yeah. but Matt Gates, um, with without anything similar, without anybody even willing to come forward and, and say anything, is basically castigated and convicted in the in the the media, left-wing media's eye. Yeah, it's a a hard thing to be a conservative or Republican um, in the media's eye these days because the presumptions that uh, will work against you will be the presumptions of something like uh, the the visiting team all the time. We are the visiting team all the time. And um, and we will be treated as such. It seems like if if we're allowed in in the first place, Andy. I mean, it, well, it, right. it is an odd thing. You're going maybe for our next conversation, we can talk about the transparency you're trying to get at CNN. But it is an odd thing when you have um, the main square, the main public square, like Twitter, not allowing the former president to talk and banning people like uh, Project Veritas and James O'Keefe because they exposed oh, yeah. CNN. I mean, it is a mafia at this point. Yeah, I mean, the last the point is, this. you want to see where we are? Go read a dystopian novel like Brave New World there in you 1984. You're, you're living in it. We are, are living, living in that. You bet. Andy, you'll help us get out. I know you will, and God bless you. Thank you for your updates. Always love talking to you. Andy Biggs, Godspeed. Thanks, sir. Thank you. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Let me tell you about my friend Solar Sandy. She actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way. She has the formula. She's also brought integrity back to solar. You read her customer views. People love doing business with Solar Sandy, as do I. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back in your pocket. When you go solar, Solar Sandy will pay 12 months of your solar payments, any portion of your power bill for the first 12 months, and the first families will receive first 50 families will receive a $1,000 signing bonus with Solar Sandy. That's right, no solar panel payment, no power bill for 12 months, and a $1,000 signing 
bonus. There's no better time to go solar with Solar Sandy than right now. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. That's AskSolarSandy.com. Tell her Seth sent you. Bob is in Phoenix. Hello, Bob. Hey, Seth. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How about you, sir? Good, good. Thanks for having uh, Senator Biggs on. I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, be exposed to uh, our public officials. There's not a lot of medium for that. He's really great, uh, too. I mean, I just, the guy hit the ground running the moment he was elected. He wasn't there to count time or mark time. He is really in every good fight that that, that you would want someone in, he's in. Yeah, the the senator remark was uh, Freudian. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. I I didn't correct you because would that it would be so. It sounded good. Yeah, sounded real sounded good. good. Um, I wanted to. So, you know, I've been thinking about this defund the police and all this stuff that's been going on, and you know, I remember Obama administration when they first started out the talk of a national police force, and so I've been thinking about. Why is all this going on? Defund the police and all this other stuff. And, you know, the Democrats, they, they want control. They, the police is one of the last locally controlled uh, law enforcement, I guess you could say, or, or uh, government that, you know, locally controlled that Correct. the Democrats really don't have a control of. And so I'm just wondering if all this, everything that's been going on this year is just a culmination to leading well. You know, we need a national police force so everybody can be at the same standard and, you know, one shoe fits all. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's entirely possible. I was I, I was uh, watching an ad. Whose ad was it? Gosh darn it. I'm trying to think of an ad. It was a social media company's ad, and they were boasting of their support for defunding the police and they weren't making any trimming about it. They said, we support defunding the police. And I thought, well, my gosh, you know, does that mean um, everyone who sees this ad can break into their corporate headquarters or their warehouses right now because they don't believe that they need police to keep their property safe? And 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 I raise that, Bob, because I think we're of two minds on this stuff in this country. I, I, I should say the liberals are of two minds. I don't think the conservatives are. The conservatives, uh, by and large, in this country um, don't like rioting and don't like lawlessness and don't like anarchy. And we're of a unanimous voice through last summer as they were in denouncing the rioting on January 6th. I don't know of any prominent conservatives that praised January 6th, and I know of none that didn't criticize it. We were consistent. But the left is of two minds about this stuff. Um, you know, they don't believe in border security, but uh, those who are the loudest in opposing it tend to have the most secure homes one can find behind fencing walls and armed guards. Maxine Waters, who believes in defunding the police, asked for a police escort while she was in Minneapolis. Um, You know I can go on and on. Nancy Pelosi does not believe in walls, but has put one up around Congress to protect it. When it comes to their own individual circumstances, they believe in the very common sense things that most Americans believe in. Uh, 
But, you know, as far as where this defund the police momentum is going to take us, will it take us to a national police force? That's why I raised the dual uh, the du- the 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 dual mind, the double mindedness of the Democrats on this, Bob. I don't think they know what they want. I really don't. Well, you know what's interesting, Seth, is, is that's that's just it. When you ask, and I hear this, you know, and and then who are you going to call? The place with blood. It's like is it, it's like radio silence. Like is this a little unknown secret that that's their motive? I mean, I seriously think that's their motive. National police force. I don't know if they want to convert the National Guard, but you think about it, if Washington can control the police force nationally, then it's over. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a pretty scary thought. Well, it's a scary remember- thought when you see the increasing numbers of police chiefs and line officers who are retiring early or reti- or resigning their positions. Think of Carmen Best in Seattle. Um, because the Democrats that do run their cities are not standing up for them and behind them. Um, So you are going to have, uh, in some respects, you're going to have uh, forces that are low on numbers and can't do the job that is asked of them because, you know, of lower numbers and lower lower years of experience because of these uh, veterans who are who are retiring. Um, we are putting an immense amount of pressure on the police force around this country, the police forces around this country right now, Bob. Um, and 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 so, yeah, I mean, your point that maybe 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 this is a push to end local policing as we know it. Um, boy, it would just be one more thing that we're ending as we know it. You know, societal um, societal conventions. Are we ever going to handshake again? I don't know. Are we ever going to hug strangers again? I don't know. Um, are we Are we ever going to have um, uh, uh, law enforcement the way we used to know it? I don't know. Because think about what Derek Chauvin went through here and think about what George Floyd went through here. George Floyd, uh, a big man, violently was resisting arrest. That's what happened. And then Derek Chauvin, a jury has now found, killed him in the process of trying to subdue him or arrest him. I, um, th- 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 that's what happened. That's what happened. There is no narrative outside of the press conferences and the national media. There is no narrative or fact that any of this had anything to do with race. Now, I know people are going to gasp that someone could say such a thing. They saw a white man with his knee on a black man's neck. Well, you can assume that there was racism there if you want, but I have nothing in the fact pattern to know that. No one can tell me. No one can tell me, and the prosecution did not make a case of racism out of this. So if it is not a racist incident, then the entire narrative of the racist police force, particularly in Minneapolis, falls apart. But that's the narrative that must be kept alive, which is why Kamala Harris inserted herself into it today, saying just that. I'm Seth Leibson. We will be right back. 602-508-0960. Love to hear from you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. 602-508-0960. I was talking about George Floyd in the context of January 6th and where the left 
supports rioting and where the left supports letting the system do its job uh, as a matter of result-oriented jurisprudence. Today, high praise for the system and the system working, only but for the fact that the result was what was decided. We all very well know the reason there were 3,000 National Guard troops in Seattle, excuse me, in Minneapolis, and the reason was if the verdicts went the other way, there would be tremendous rioting. Meanwhile, the riot, we are told, that shook the nation was the January 6th riot. And as much as people are celebrating today an outcome in Minneapolis for getting the facts right, at least as they see it for those who support this verdict, I, um, I am amazed at what they are willing to live with regarding what took place on January 6th. We have already discussed at great length the cover-up of the death of Ashley Babbitt, the only person at the riot who was literally killed during the riot. She was a Trump supporter. She was shot. She was unarmed. She was shot by a policeman or, or a member of the Capitol Police. We will never know that person's name. We will never know. What we will know is that an unarmed woman was shot to death. The other part of this, when I say the one person that was killed, is that was not the initial story or set of stories. The initial set of stories were that five people were killed, including an officer of the law, including a Capitol Police officer who was stricken in the head by a fire extinguisher and was killed by blunt force trauma. Brian Sicknick was his name. And the House of Representatives leadership made a great show of sympathy and support, including laying his remains in state to make a big deal of this martyr's death. Well, he was a martyr, but not a martyr to confronting Donald Trump supporters or rioters on January 6th. He was a martyr to being killed by a blood clot the next day. He was not stricken by a fire extinguisher. Byron York writes that it took nearly three and a half months for the District of Columbia Medical Examiner's Office to announce a cause of death for Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who helped defend the Capitol during the January 6th riot and died the next day in the hospital. The medical examiner ruled that Sicknick died of natural causes, specifically after suffering two strokes. Medical examiner Francisco Diaz did not publicly release his report on Sicknick's death. Instead, much of the public's information comes from an interview he gave to the Washington Post, where he told the Washington Post that the autopsy found no evidence the 42-year-old officer suffered an allergic reaction to chemical irritants, which Diaz said would have caused Sicknick's throat to quickly seize. Diaz also said there was no evidence of internal or external injuries. So Sicknick did not die 
from rioters striking him with a fire extinguisher or any other object, as originally reported, nor did he die from being hit in the face with bear spray, as was theorized after the fire extinguisher explanation fell apart. Diaz also gave the Post a new timeline for the events leading up to Sicknick's death. Sicknick collapsed seven hours and 40 minutes after he was sprayed and then died nearly 24 hours after that, the medical examiner said. According to the federal indictment of two rioters charged in Sicknick's death, the officer was hit by bear spray at 2.23 p.m. on January 6th. That would mean he collapsed around 10 p.m. that night and died around the same time the next night, January 7th. There are still things the public doesn't know about the case. It is simply not clear what role, if any, Sicknick's participation in the fight to defend the Capitol played in his death. Everything about January 6th, you know, is almost untrue. And it's in the service of blasting away at conservatives and in the service of saying a good thing here and there about the need for police. The left is nowhere, nowhere in the same posture when it comes to our major cities outside of the D.C. area where they live. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Did you know foam roofs here in the Valley are a great option for many homes? That's where my friends at Trades Unlimited come in. Not only do foam roofs help insulate from our extreme Arizona heat, but they also help insulate your home from exterior noises and, most importantly, protect your house from water leaks. I've had the privilege of going down to Trades Unlimited's offices, their headquarters, their warehouse, and meeting the team over there. Hugely impressive team. They've got great people working for them, both their quality and their craftsmanship, the quality of the people they hire and the job that they do. Trades Unlimited is now in its 26th year here in Phoenix, and they have an A-plus rating at the Better Business Bureau. After meeting with them, I can tell you why. Most of their business is by referral or previous customers. That, to me, always tells a lot about a company. People are happy and come back to tell others about their great experience. That's why we love helping that word of mouth here on the radio show that they are sponsoring. Quality and service is what you will come to know with Trades Unlimited. Hot summer sun right now is perfect for recoats protect your roof before the foam beneath the coatings get compromised don't wait until it's too late call my friends over at trades unlimited at 480-483-1775 that's 480-483-1775 or find them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs clark is in surprise hello clark yeah hi Steph. um I, I know you have uh, some of legal questions, but it seems as though convicting him of three charges that are so similar is almost uh, a double or a triple jeopardy kind of kind of question. Are, was, is that something that were the charges would be served concurrently, or how does this really work? Yeah, as I understand it, Clark, um, they all have the three charges have different elements so that they can um, they can be charged as separate crimes. I don't believe I mean, I don't know what the sentencing configuration will look like. What the experts I've listened to have told me is that without an appeal, we're looking at multiple decades, excuse me, multiple decades um, of um, of time, multiple decades. 
so effectively a life sentence? Well, it's, uh, I, I think he's culpable, but I just think that it's... Yeah, and the judge... You know, and, yeah, and the judge... 40 years. Yeah, I'm with you. And the judge, the judge can certainly work on um work on, you, you know within a range of years with each of the uh, with each of the counts he was found guilty on and perhaps some of them can be or will be appealed um but again you know I can see being in the jury and uh I followed the case fairly closely I can see being in the jury and coming out where Janine Pirro came out which is saying the, the, the these are convictions that were served by the facts as 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 the trial showed them that you can reasonably conclude these things from the case um, that was presented by the prosecution and the defense and that having been said my worry is that in this individual case one of 12 that may happen nationally um, in any given year we are getting uh, a reimposed notion of systemic police racism and a distorted picture of systemic racism in this country. George Floyd's killer was convicted on three counts. What system are they complaining about? And yet, here's Barack Obama today, former President Barack Obama issuing a press release today. Listen to what he writes. True justice requires that we come to terms with the fact that black Americans are treated differently every day. It requires us to recognize that millions of our friends, family, and fellow citizens live in fear that their next encounter with law enforcement can be their last. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Millions of our fellow citizens live in fear that their next encounter with law enforcement could be their last. Are you kidding me? This is the narrative that they want to reify. Heather McDonald has written, the charge of systemic police bias is wrong. However sickening the video of Floyd's arrest, it isn't representative of the 375 million annual contacts that police officers have with civilians. Think about that. 375 million contacts with civilians a year. Crime and suspect behavior not race, by the way, determine most of these police interactions. In 2019, the year for which statistics are most recently available, police officers fatally shot 1,004 people, most of whom were armed or otherwise dangerous. African Americans were about a quarter of those killed by cops last year. That would mean 235, a ratio that has remained stable since 2015. 
that share of black victims is less than what the black crime rate would predict since police shootings are a function of how often officers encounter armed and violent suspects. African Americans make up 53% of known homicide offenders in the U.S. and commit about 60% of robberies, though they are 13% of the population. It is interesting, given those high numbers, 25% of African Americans were killed by cops last year. 25% of the cop shootings were African American. That's the way I should say it. The police fatally shot nine unarmed blacks and 19 unarmed whites, according to the Washington Post database. These numbers are down from 2015. The Post defines unarmed broadly and includes such cases as a suspect in Newark who had a loaded handgun in his car during a police chase. In 2018, there were 7,407 black homicide victims. Assuming a comparable number of victims last year, those nine unarmed black victims of police rep- shootings represent one tenth of one percent of all African Americans killed in 2019. By contrast, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. And yet Barack Obama tells us millions of people live in fear that their next encounter with law enforcement could be their last. Because he says things like that. That's why. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hallmans will be joining us in studio the next hour to talk COVID and politics. Talk about anything you want as well. If uh, you have uh, thoughts on the George uh, Floyd, Derek Chauvin verdict, uh, happy to do that with you too. 602-508-0960 is the number. Uh, I had to um, not let this pass before comment. I saw... George uh, W. Bush, former President George W. Bush, is on a book tour. He's recently written what looks like a beautiful book (coughs) um, uh, dedicated to wounded soldiers of his paintings. But in any event, he was on the uh, Today Show and was asked how he would describe the current Republican Party. And he said, quote, isolationist, protectionist, and to a certain extent, nativist, close quote. Isolationist, protectionist, and to a certain certain extent, nativist. I, I, I just don't know why a reporter wouldn't be smart enough to follow up on what he means by that if he could cite certain examples. What would be the example of protectionist? Tariffs? Well, George Bush placed tariffs on steel. Um, isolationist? I, 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 don't, I don't know what about the party is isolationist. Um, it's the nativist thing that rubs. Because nativist is effectively a nicer word for, it's a synonym, if you will, 
but a nicer word for racist. And I just think George Bush has a very short memory because I remember that the left called him all these things when he was the president too. Just type in Google or whatever your favorite internet search search uh, function is. Type in George W. Bush fascist and you get article after article. I forgot how prevalent they were in calling him that when he was president. Are we facing the threat of fascism is the first article that pops up from 2005. Comparing Bush to Hitler, January 2004. U.S. President's Islamic, um, Islamic fascist remarks belong to him, not others. Hitlerian slurs, they did it all to him. His memory is quite short. But I think, too, he should be ashamed of himself for saying that and giving giving the party that gave him so much and his family so much such a kick in the teeth. I think it's shameful, and I don't think it's gratitude. Nor do I think it resembles anything like accuracy. Wrong on pretty much every count. I'll be right back. 